Hey, this is Dave Ryder from Cullamunda Church of Christ. Really praying this podcast blesses you. If you'd like to hear more of our story, how about you go to our webpage, cullamunda.church. Well, if you knew your life was about to come to the end, if you had one last kick of the can, one last kick of the can, one last opportunity to leave behind what you see as most important and most valuable, something that you truly believed everyone needed to know, Everyone needed to know. And the only means that you had, the only way that you could do this was the written word. What exactly would you write? What would you write? And how would you go about that? Because if this was the last thing that you could write, this is your last opportunity to leave in the hearts of people all over the place what you see as the most important thing. It would actually make sense that this is the most important thing you've ever written. How would you go about writing that? How would you go about penning that? Well, this is precisely where we see the Apostle Paul as he's penning this letter. Paul is under house arrest in Rome, and um, we need to understand and recognize that Paul always had the intention of going to Rome. Um, he, he, he always had that. He, didn't, he, didn't, he never thought. Um, for, for the life of him, that, that the way that he would go to Rome would actually be in chains. He never thought that. No, he had in his mind that he was going to use Rome and the church in Rome to be the home base for another missionary trip. He was going to go out to Spain. And as a result, he actually penned a letter to the church in Rome that we call Romans. And the whole point and the whole purpose of penning that letter, which we call Romans, was to prepare the church, was to tell the church what he believed so that they could actually embrace him and that the church in Rome could be a home base. So he he always meant to go to Rome. He just didn't mean to come to Rome in this particular way. But now he's in house arrest. And how this kind of happened is that he actually made his way to Jerusalem as he intended to do. He went from church to church to church and he was actually um, taking um, gift offerings. He was getting money. He was raising money and he was taking that to Jerusalem. So he takes his money, he takes his offering to Jerusalem, and the church in Jerusalem, they, they receive it. He wasn't sure if they would receive it. But then shortly after that, there's confrontation and conflict that come pretty much straight away. And this kind of leads to the, the imminent fact that for this to move forward, he was probably going to get killed. In the same way that Stephen got stoned to death. You remember that story in the book of Acts? Well, this is going to happen with Paul. So what he does, being a dual citizen, a citizen of Rome, he appeals to Caesar. And as he appeals to Caesar, he actually bypasses the stoning that was imminent. So it made a bit of sense. The only thing is, to have an audience with Caesar took a couple of years. Because Caesar's not in Rome, he's around, he's protecting his territory, he's protecting his empire. So he's in house arrest in Rome, knowing it's going to take a couple of years before he has an audience with Caesar, and also knowing that when he has an audience with Caesar, Caesar is not going to be that appreciative of Paul. In fact, the chances are he's probably going to die, which in fact does happen. So this is what is happening as Paul is kind of in house arrest. And during these years in house arrest, he writes a whole bunch of letters. He writes this letter that we call um, uh, Colossians. And the purpose of writing Colossians was to actually address some theological flaws that that church had precisely when it came to Jesus. They thought Jesus was like an angel, and Paul wants to correct that and say, no, Jesus is God. He is the creator. Through him all things are made. He wants to correct some Christology, so that's why he writes that. He writes a letter to his great friend Philemon, who was a wealthy guy in Rome. Philemon, and, and he's writing about his slave, which has come to him. And he wants to address him. He's saying, Philemon, you need, to, you need to actually receive this slave of yours because he's been very, very helpful to me. 
And he also writes like a letter which we seem to have lost. He has this letter that he wants to write to Laodicea in, and it seemingly is this letter that we've lost. But in the midst of writing all of these letters, he writes this generic letter as well. He writes this letter that wasn't written to any specific issues in any particular regions or in any particular churches. It's not even addressed to any specific people like what we find as he writes First and Second Timothy. That's obviously written to Timothy. This is a very, very generic letter. And this letter was to be a much more elevated letter than any of his other letters. This letter was to be this lofty letter. It presented a higher vision of who God is. It presented a higher vision of what God has done, what God is doing, or what God will continue to do. It presented a higher vision of who we are as the people of God in the midst of God's story. This was truly to be a visionary letter. It was a manifesto. It's a story of God presented for all to see and for all to marvel at. A grand story that's in waiting, simply waiting for anyone, Jew or Gentile, to give their personal consent to join God and to be part of the unfolding story of salvation history. Welcome to the book of Ephesians. I'm going to read this in your hearing. You need to understand... Uh, if you can do, like we've got these great apps like version. If you can do, it'll probably take you half an hour at max. Just get that app, put in your headphones, press play and just listen. Because these letters were not written to be read because most of the world was illiterate. It was written to be heard. And when you hear it, you hear different things. You, you actually pick up on different things than what you read. You know what I'm saying? So for right now... Why don't you just, if you get distracted, just close your eyes. I'm going to read to you Ephesians 1, verse 1 to 14. That's all we're going to delve into today. And I reckon I've bitten off more than I can chew because there's so much in here. But you know what? If we went through this properly, this would take us another two years to actually go through it. So let me read this in your hearing. I'm going to read from the New Living Translation. Ephesians 1, verse 1 to 14. This letter is from Paul, chosen by the will of God to be an apostle of Jesus Christ. I am writing to God's holy people who are faithful followers of Christ Jesus. May God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ. Even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. So we praise God for the glorious grace he has poured out on us who belong to his dear son. He is so rich in kindness and grace that he purchased our freedom with the blood of his son and forgave our sins. He has showered his kindness on us along with all wisdom and understanding. God has now revealed to us the, mysteri the mysterious plan regarding Christ, our plan to fulfill his own good pleasure. And this is the plan. At the right time, he will bring everything together under the authority of Christ, everything in heaven and on earth. Furthermore, because we're united with Christ, we have received an inheritance from God. For he chose us in advance and he makes everything work out according to his plan. God's purpose is that we Jews who were the first to trust in him would bring praise and glory to God. 
And now you, Gentiles, have also heard the truth, the good news that God saves you. And when you believed in Christ, he identified you as his own by giving you the Holy Spirit, whom he promised long ago. The Spirit is God's guarantee that he will give us the inheritance he promised and that he has purchased us to be his own people. He did this so we would praise and glorify him. This is God's word. Did you pick up some different things as you heard it? Wow. Verses 3 to 14, we're just going to focus on that. You need to understand that in the Greek, that's one sentence. It's like this avalanche of praise. In in our English, it's like eight sentences, highly compacted. But Paul, he is just just so exuding with passion and praise. It literally rolls out of him like an avalanche. And it's just one sentence. It's the largest sentence we have in the New Testament. He begins by saying, All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ. This praise is not a manufactured praise. This praise that just bursts forth from his mouth, it is a praise that is a response to hearing, that it comes from hearing what God has already done. To, to, to understand what God's already done, it seems like if we truly understand, if we hear, if we recognize, if we acknowledge what God has done, the result, the response is an avalanche of praise. An avalanche of praise. My goodness, could you imagine that? We come on Sunday, and like we're not trying to warm you up, say, come on, get ready. Let's... No, 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 we have an understanding, we have a recognition of what the Lord has actually done in human history, what he's done for me, even before the foundation of the world, that when I come here, there is like, I open my mouth, I can't even contain it. It is like an avalanche, it's an eruption of praise. That is what is happening. It's an automatic response to what God has already done in response to the story of God, which is currently, currently, right and right now, as we sit here, it is currently in play. It is currently unfolding. It's a story that begins before the foundation of the world. Verse 4 says, even before he made the world, God loved us. Get that? He loved you before the foundation of the world. And guess what? He also chose us. Before the foundation of the world, before you stuffed up last night, He made his decision. He made his choice. Before you and I could screw anything up. Isn't that good to know? Any screw-ups here? Everyone's hand should be up. I don't care how holy, how righteous you are. If you do not think that you are a screw-up, if you do not think that, that you do not qualify for the gospel, you do not. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. That's what it says, right? And this story is to be completed in a glorious future. Verse 10 says, at, and this is the plan, at the right time, he will bring everything together the, uh, under the authority of Christ, everything in heaven and on earth. We think God's plan is just to reconcile humanity. That's important. But he says everything. You read the book of Colossians. That even includes the powers. He's reconciling everything in the cosmos. This is God's story, but it's a unique story. It's a really, really surprising story because for some reason, God has chosen to prepare the way for all of humanity, if they so wish, to be part of the story. And not just be part of the story, to participate in the story. Very, very different. We have a lot of Christians who think they're part of the story. We have very few who actually participate. We'll get to that in a minute. And to dwell with God in this story. And the means by which all of this is made possible 
is encapsulated with an idea and a thought that is summarized in two simple one-syllable words that Paul repeats over and over and over and over again. And those two words are simply this, in Christ. In Christ. Christ is the means. Jesus is the doorway. Jesus is the invitation through whom we become part of this story. But what exactly is this magnificent vision of God that calls forth such praise? This is where you can open your Bible. We're going to start in verse 2. What is this vision that we need to hear? What is this thing, this manifesto that Paul simply needs to get to all? You know, the earliest transcripts, you might have noticed I didn't say to the church in Ephesus, because the earliest transcripts have nothing there. This crest, so what happened is that this is to the church and you just simply put, so we could actually say to the church of Kalamunda. That's how it was written. Because this was a circular letter that was supposed to go to all these different churches. We just have so many um, church, so many manuscripts that say Ephesus because the Ephesians loved this so much and you could just see so much. But the earliest ones, they were left blank because this letter was to go everywhere. That's why I left it blank. In case you're wondering, Dave's not reading the Bible. No, I know the Bible. Don't worry about that. I've done my study. My job's to teach now. What's this magnificent vision that God that calls for such praise? Verse 2. May God our Father. Let's just stop there. Father. May God our Father. Here's a really important question. What exactly is a Christian? I mean, that's an important question. I wonder if you've ever asked that. Or if you've ever had someone else ask you. Like, Dave, you're a Christian. What exactly is a, what's a Christian? What's a Christian? One of the most formative books that's been written is by an author who's just recently passed away. His name is J.I. Packer. It's called Knowing God. And he brings probably the simplest but most profound answer to that question, what is a Christian? What is a, a Christian? Christian? And this is what he says. I'm going, whoa, what is a Christian? Listen to what he says. The question can be answered in many ways, but the richest answer I know is that a Christian is one who has God as Father. What is a Christian? If someone asks you, what is a Christian? Let me tell you what a Christian is. Anyone who has God as Father. That's a Christian. That's a Christian. Does anyone here have God as Father? You bet you do. You bet you do. We have so much theology in our letters, in the epistles of Paul and, and the pastoral letters. And, and they draw out these, these fundamental, important things of the means by which God has accomplished his master plan. It's even been noted by scholars that there, is, there are some things that are missing in the book of Ephesians that, that Paul labors on in other places. Namely, the, probably the most obvious one would be justification by faith. You don't read that in the book of Ephesians, but we need to understand that justification is the means of how this grand vision can possibly happen. But here in this book that we call the letter to the Ephesians, Paul is articulating what the actual vision of God is. And the vision is simply this, family. That's the vision. Family. I'm going to read from verse 3 to 6. Just listen or read along from verse 3. All praise to God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ. Even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault. God decided in advance to 
adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do, and he gave him great pleasure. So we praise God for the glorious grace he has poured out for on us who belong to his dear son. This idea of father, you know, in the Old Testament, God referred to his father in 39 books, probably about 15 times, 27 books in the New Testament, over 200 times. Where in the world did the authors of our New Testament get the idea of God as father? There's one place. His name is Jesus. That's where they got it. From Jesus. The disciples come up to Jesus and say, Jesus, teach us how to pray. What does he say? Pray like this. Our Father. Father is the covenantal name for God, for you, if you're a follower of Jesus. It's a covenantal name. It speaks of the intimacy. It speaks of the nature of our relationship with God. If you were to think about any parable or any teaching of Jesus when it comes to the Father, I guess most people would probably think of the prodigal son. Right? The prodigal son. Tim Keller and others have rightly said that this parable should probably be called the prodigal father. The prodigal father. Because to be prodigal means to be extravagant and to be wasteful. It's a story, and it's the story of the, of the prodigal son is actually the story where Jesus gives us a glimpse as to the character of the father. We already know what the son's like, but we're seeing the father. And it has been noted, and it has been said, that it seems that this father is the one who seems to be extravagantly wasteful. This father is wasteful with his grace. This father is wasteful with his love. This father is wasteful with his forgiveness. This is the story of the prodigal father. He is wasteful with his goodness. His younger son asks for his inheritance while his dad is still alive. In that culture, that literally means the son went to his father and says, you are dead to me. Right now, give me what is owing to me. It is not a pleasant thing for your son to come up to you and actually say, Dad, you are dead to me. I hate your guts. Give me my share now. He goes out. He wastes everything, gets in trouble. He then decides, you know, I need to go back. At least I can be a slave. And he tries to come up with a script. And as he comes back, his father's waiting for him. And his father, he sees him in the distance and does something that is never done in that culture. The father lifts up his robe and runs. That's never done in that culture. Never done. I'm an Anglo-Indian. You never see Indians run. <laughs> never. Well, this is a Jewish dad. He never runs. And you don't lift up your robe. You don't show your, you don't show your legs. No, no, no. And he, he runs and he doesn't even let his son finish the script. Why do you think that is? Because the father simply does not care. I don't care what happened. I'm just glad you're home. Jesus says that's the character of your heavenly father. How do we get the story twisted? We don't read our Bible, that's why. Isn't that incredible? Imagine Jesus saying, that's the character of your heavenly father. We come up with our scripts and the father says, I don't even care. I'm just glad you're home. So glad you're home. But the story doesn't end there because there's an older brother. And in this story, the older brother's you and me. <laughs> Jesus wants to make a point here. And, and from verse 25 of Luke 15, 
It says this, Meanwhile, the older brother was in the fields working when he returned home. He heard music and dancing in the house. Must mean that in the father's house there's music and dancing. Just letting you know. All right? I mean, do you want to be a Christian or not? Do you want to be the church of Jesus or not? Well, in our father's house there is music and there is dancing. <laughs> I've been looking forward to this series, eh? <laughs> He asked the servants, what's going on? Your brother is back, he told. And your father has killed a fatty calf. We are celebrating because he is safe. His safe return. The older brother was angry and wouldn't go in. His father came out and begged him, but he replied, all these years I've slaved for you and never once refused to do a single thing you told me. And in the meantime, you never gave me even one young goat or for a feast with my friends. Yet when the son of yours comes back after squandering your money on prostitutes, you celebrate by killing the fatted calf? His father said to him, Look, dear son, you've always stayed by me, and everything I have is yours. We had to celebrate this happy day, for your brother was dead. He's come back to life. He was lost, but now he is found. Listen to the words of the father. Listen, just listen, just listen. His father said to him, listen to this. Everything I have is yours. The older son didn't get it. In this parable, we are the older son. Do we get it? Everything I have is yours. Now listen to that. In the context of how Paul speaks about our Heavenly Father in verse 3. All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every. Same Father. Everything I have is yours. All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ. Everything means everything and guess what? Every means every. We are blessed by the same Father that Jesus shows us with every spiritual blessing because we are in Christ. The heavenly Father says everything I have is yours has blessed you and I with every spiritual blessing. And this should shape our life. It should shape and it should actually determine the attitudes we pick up along the way. It should determine the words that slip out of our mouth. For the gossip we allow to enter into our ears. In light of everything that this Heavenly Father has done for us, Paul has only one response. All praise to God. Wow. And in our life, if our response is not all praise to God, we are simply the older brother who doubts the heart of a heavenly father who says, everything I have is yours. What a remarkable way to start this letter. Verse 5 goes on. God decided in advance to adopt us into his family. By bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do and it gave him great pleasure. This is idea. Get this idea. The adoption papers are written. 
the Father has signed the paperwork. And he is now waiting for anyone to give their consent. The heart of the Father says this, I've already made my choice. Before the foundation of this world, I chose you. I loved you. The paper's written. I've signed it. Will you choose me? What a humble God. This is the reason why we know that no man could have made this up. No other religion or worldview or anything has this picture of God who would say, I've made my choice, I'm waiting for you. No other God would say, I choose you, will you choose me? Wow. Wow. See, that's the good news. And it's, it's a different gospel than what we hear so often. This is what happens in the church. We come up with ways to exclude people from the family. Stupid ways. And the father says, I've signed my end. I'm privileged I get to sit on the state board. And I hear the stories. I know the story out in the country. It's like this young guy who's, who's looking at scripture and he's interpreted a certain way and there's evidence for his interpretation. And the church has said, no, nah, you are no longer, you're not going to be a member. You're not part of the family. You've got to be careful because that doesn't line up with that. This is an ever-extending family. We've got to be careful with that. Isn't that good news? Could you imagine if we told that story? If that gospel was the gospel that people heard? Wow. Well, you know what? Now you can. <laughs> you can. What's really interesting is that Paul continues where the Western church generally stops. This is what I found. People love their altar calls. We remember the times of Billy Graham crusades and all that. Had some, some good, good fruit from it. But generally speaking, the church tends to stop there. But Paul keeps on going. Our salvation, our adoption, listen to this, this is really important. Our salvation, our adoption is an important stage. But it's only a stage. I don't care if that messes you up. Because that is what is holding the church back in the West right now. We think that's it. If we think that my salvation is get a ticket to heaven, you need to understand that came from Plato. That did not come from the Bible. That came from Greek philosophy. It never came from Paul. It didn't come from the, the writers of, of the Old Testament. And this is where the church, where we have not served Christians very well. And this will be no surprise what's going to come next because I've been banging on about this for the last six months with you guys. It'll be like, oh, here goes Dave again. There's a larger purpose. There's an invitation that's greater than you and I could ever possibly imagine. From verse 9, God has now revealed to us this mysterious plan regarding Christ, a plan to fulfill his own good pleasure. You need to understand in the New Testament, whenever that word mystery is used, it's an idea that something was once hidden, but now it is revealed. When we talk about the mysteries of Christ, they were maybe at some stage were a bit of a mystery, but now they are clear as day. That's what that word means. It was once hidden, but now it's completely revealed. 
And this is the plan, verse 10. At the right time, he will bring everything together under the authority of Christ, everything in heaven and earth. Furthermore, because we are united with Christ, we have received an inheritance. Everyone say inheritance. We've received an inheritance from God, for he chose us in advance, and he makes everything work out according to his plan. Christianity is not a ticket to get to heaven. It is an invitation to participate in the story of God. He is reconciling all things through Christ right now. Everything is coming together. If we have an idea that this is a bad, evil creation, you have not read the book of Genesis. This is a good creation that God is renewing, that God is restoring, that God has not abandoned this creation. He is making it new. And he has invited us to be part of that story, to participate and actually be part, to be those who actually bring about God's plan and his form in this world. This is inheritance. You know what the inheritance is? A renewed earth and heaven. A renewed creation. And this is the idea that we've somehow stumbled into this inheritance. Picture this. Like you've got this great, 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 great uncle. And he is like a billionaire with this amazing, huge property. Castles and everything, expansive, green meadows. And it's so amazing and all that. Word comes to you that every single person in this line, they've died. And a complete inheritance now falls to you. You weren't in line for it, but somehow you stumbled into it. That's the idea. We have somehow stumbled into something so magnificent. And even as good as that great, 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 great uncle's inheritance could be, is nothing compared to the inheritance that is for us. If you're found in Christ, we are thrust into an inheritance that is infinitely beyond this this, there's this, this whole thing of a renewed heaven and earth. And guess what? The Father smiles. The Father takes delight in giving it to you because this is the same Father who said to his Son, everything I have is yours. Everything I have is yours. And just in case you doubt it, just in case you don't believe it, just in case it seems so far away that you could even, like, even picture what it could look like, Paul goes on to say that you and I who follow Jesus Christ, we get a taste of it right now. We get a glimpse of it right now. But it's not just for you. There's supposed to be a taste of it we get right now. There's supposed to be a glimpse that is to demonstrate to the entire world of something that is beyond this world. Why do you think we're supposed to give a demonstration to show a glimpse. Have you ever seen a movie trailer? You go to the movies, you get all the trailers. You don't see the whole, you just see a glimpse, don't you? But the glimpse points to the whole. We're supposed to be movie trailers right now, giving a glimpse of what the whole will be. And you know why God wants us to give the world a glimpse? Because the adoption papers have been signed. And he wants the world to know all they need to do is give their consent and they too can participate in this grand story. Wow, what a way to start a letter. My goodness. Here's the taste. From verse 14 I'll read because I'm running out of time. The Spirit is God's guarantee that he will give us the inheritance he promised. And that has been purchased. And that he has purchased us to be his own people. He did this so we would... Praise and glorify Him. It's a free gift of the Holy Spirit. Walking in the Spirit, living in the Spirit. Our life gives us a taste. 
When we lay hands on the sick and see them recover, that is a taste. When we pour out generosity, that is a taste. When we give love and compassion and grace, that is a taste. When we live as true humanity in this world, that is a taste. When we are satisfied in the Lord, that is a taste. When we give correct praise and glory to God, that is a taste. And the world looks on and they see something beyond this world that they see right now in this world and it lets them know the adoption papers have been signed. You too can actually be part of this. This is such good news. Such, such good news. And get this, he says that, that, that he did this so we would praise and glorify him. More literally, for the praise of his glory. We don't understand that word glory. It's an old word. This is what the word glory means. His fame and his reputation. That we would live in such a way that the world would have that reputation of God. That fame of God. That understanding of the Heavenly Father. What kind of understanding does the world have of our Heavenly Father right now? Well, it's not the reputation and the fame of what Paul is articulating right now. And we are to live in such a way here on earth, in such a way that when anyone and everyone looks upon our life, they might do a head tilt, they may disagree with our belief, but you know what? One thing will be absolutely undeniable. The way that we speak, the way that we act, the way that we live here on earth tells something of His fame and something of his glory, and something of his reputation, could not give a stuff about the reputation of New Spring or the reputation of Kalamunda. I want to live for his reputation. So he would be famous. That's what that word means. That's what it means that our life with the Spirit would tell of this reputation of our Heavenly Father, would tell of his fame. What fame? What reputation? This is the reputation. This is the reputation. This is the fame that our lives should be showing of our Heavenly Father. Okay. All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ. Even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. So we praise God for the glorious grace he has poured out on us who belong to his dear son. He is so rich in kindness and grace that he purchased our freedom with the blood of his son and forgave our sin. He has showered his kindness on us along with all wisdom and understanding. God has now revealed to us his mysterious plan regarding Christ, a plan to fulfill his own good pleasure. And this is the plan. At the right time, he will bring everything together under the authority of Christ, everything in heaven and everything on earth. Furthermore, because we are united with Christ, we have received an inheritance from God. For he chose us in advance and he makes everything work out according to his plan. God's purpose was for the, that we Jews who were the first to trust in Christ would bring praise and glory to God. And now you Gentiles have also heard the truth, the good news that God saves you and that when you believe in Christ, he identified you as his own by giving you the Holy Spirit whom he promised long ago. The Spirit is God's guarantee that he will give us the inheritance he promised and that he has purchased us to be his own people. He did this so that we would praise and glorify his name. That's the reputation. That's the fame. Our lives, our churches should be lived in such a way that the world sees and hears that. What an incredible way 
to start a letter if you had one last kick of the can and if you needed to tell everyone what you thought and what you believed to be most significant and most important.